Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. How you doing, Ben? Oh, doing okay. How are you? I'm doing really well. So I've been pretty busy the past couple of weeks and enjoying uh, that the new year, though. And one nice thing we actually had, my wife and I got a chance to kind of go on a bit of a reading anniversary trip. Uh, we're big history people, history nerds, as you know. Uh, I don't think it surprised anyone that we're nerds. And one thing we kind of followed some of that history stuff and we went down uh, for our anniversary into Virginia and we uh, went to some presidential houses of which we both read some element of biography especially it was a time where we are also learning more about James and Roe on the trip down so how, how have you guys been what have you guys been doing in this new year well we actually had some uh, time I had some time off which was nice and so um, we got to hang around the house and Play. We explored the uh, woods and the creek behind our house that before we had not done a lot of just because it was overgrown a lot and poison ivy and snakes and stuff. But we found a, a clear pathway through. And so anyway, we had a big time with that. And um, yeah, just trying to get transitioned back into the routine, which has been helpful, but uh, you know, not without when you, you take aside your routine, uh, getting back into it could be challenging sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, watched a few movies, which you know I don't normally do. So, did you? What movies? <laughs> uh, let's see. We watched the new Aladdin, uh, um, and then we wa- we went old school and watched Home Alone. So, now listeners, uh, remember that Ben is watching the new Aladdin movie seven eight months after the movie came out. So that that's a new movie for the Flaws family. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's a very new movie. It was made, we watched it within the year that it was made, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, speaking of some of these things we're reading about, and even some of the cultures of the movie Aladdin, uh, slavery was a common problem back then, and, and even in these presidents that Danielle and I were kind of studying and spending some time at their homes, we went to James Monroe's house, and we went to uh, Thomas Jefferson's house, and uh, I find fascinating that these presidents, uh, they were enraged against evils, especially the evils of tyranny uh, from a king and things like that. And yet they kind of acknowledged that slavery was a sin too, but it was kind of one of the little sins. Owning human beings, they saw it as a little sin. Uh, and now, you know, we see from uh, a biblical perspective and from a different cultural uh, lens that obviously what they saw was a little sin was not little sins. Uh, and But I think it's worth talking from that about little sins in general and whether or not there even are little sins. Uh, so compared to slavery, obviously people uh, would consider slavery today a really bad sins, sin. But what other kind of what other things are the really bad sins we would never want our kids to do, Ben? Well, uh, I guess it depends on who you're talking to, um, what they would consider like the big things. But you know, sex, drugs, abortion, homosexual acts, murder, getting arrested. Um, I mean, I think those would probably top the list for a lot of people, though there are some that, that would not find some of those things nearly as, uh, I guess, egregious. They would, they would uh, see them as little. But th- those kinds of big things, that w- that's what immediately came to mind. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I definitely think uh, those ones, I mean, even homosexuality we might see as a really big sin sometimes, or I mean, the really illegal ones, I mean, I would generally say, you know, something where the NSA might have to be involved would be a really bad <laughs> sin. <laughs> that, uh, or, you know, sometimes we might see embracing a different political party uh, as one of the really bad sins, right? Uh, for some, yeah. Yeah. So what about uh, like taking the tags off of a mattress? Would that be one of the really bad sins? You know, I've never seen anybody uh, get too knotted up about that. But, you know, somebody somewhere 
Okay. Well, uh, with that in mind, what are the sins that we tend to see as not a big deal, Ben? And and why I want to ask with that, why do we make these differences? I think we have a tendency to excuse ourselves. Um, so, like you, you mentioned, homosexuality a minute ago. Now, the church. Well, the church has done all kinds of things, but in some ways the church has improved its response to people who deal with same-sex attraction and uh, who have participated in a homosexual lifestyle. There has been more grace towards those. Now, some people have gone too far and wanted to completely affirm that and say that there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually a gift from God and uh, things like that, but that's it's really hard to defend from Scripture. But <clears throat> it, I think that being a case, a case study – it's one of those things that a lot of people don't deal with that sin, but they do deal with the sin to be greedy, to be angry, or to, to have lust of the, the heterosexual variety, um, to to be proud, these kinds of things. And so I know what it feels like to be that way, so I'm a little more excusing and a little more tolerant towards someone who's dealing with that as opposed to you sicko, you've got these other desires and so because I can't identify, it, I feel this maybe moral superiority sometimes. Um, but so things like, yeah, complaining, pride, selfishness, slander, envy, gossip, dissension, greed, those are in some ways considered more respectable because you can live a, a pretty what appears to be respectable life and be a person that slanders or, or gossips, um, whereas your life may look m- like more of a wreck if you're a drug addict um, yeah. or, you know, like you said, getting the NSA involved. <laughs> Definitely. And so, uh, you know, those are the, the biggies and the baddies, those, those other ones. But, um, you know, and for, for many people, it does not take as much effort to avoid things like that. Um, and so we're probably excusing our own consciences a little bit, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you've given a good list of that and a good assessment. Uh, some other sins that I think on top of that, you know, we tend to see as kind of small. And I know a few of these you mentioned, but for me that really come to mind is gossip, especially. I think we tend to see gossip. You know, we'll talk, it's bad, but oh, shucks. Uh, and then, you know, we don't, we tend not to be deeply bothered by gossip problems or anxiety. I mean, which the Bible does tell us anxiety can and often is sin. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think always to some degree or another, uh, or partiality. Uh, partiality, I think scripture lines up clearly as a sin. We tend to see that as kind of a little thing or impatience. Impatience might be another one that we kind of see as a little sin. So uh, I think also added what you said, we tend to act like these don't really hurt anybody. Uh, and because they lack consequences directly in the way that, you know, if you murder somebody, I should hope that there would be consequences and the police would catch you. Uh, but uh, I think that there's a lack of typically, you know, if you battle impatience, there's not going to be an avert consequence usually. And so because of that, I think they're harder to fight in some ways because of that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that we bind to some sense of really like – um, ethical utilitarianism, right? Uh, and that, you know, what is wrong is kind of what uh, is against the progress of society. Uh, whether we admit it or not, I think there's an extent to which all Christians buy into that and in thinking about ethics. Uh, but I think also we tend to have, like he's brought about as well, uh, we tend to have a pride about our struggle versus other people's struggles. You know, it tends to be that the bad sins are the sins that other people do, no matter who we are. You know, so that's where at Thomas Jefferson owned slaves and, you know, the bad sins are the sins that other people do. But having slaves, that's not that big of a deal, even if it's a bad thing, admittedly. Yeah. And we can more easily criticize. Uh, and I do want to say, if anybody's listening to this podcast and owns slaves, stop owning slaves uh, and please go to the police. So. I'll, I'll amen to that. Yes. <laughs> what is the danger in treating certain sins as little or respectable, Ben? Well, I think that there there can be big dangers to that. First Peter 2.11 tells us that fleshly desires wage war on our soul and we're supposed to resist those. Um, and so God intends for us to resist those warring desires that it it says that they actually 
destroy our souls. And so I don't think he just has in mind, you know, the biggies and the baddies, um, those things that, that shock people and bring disgrace to your family. Um, there can be other things that, that seem much more minor, like you talked about anxiety, um, sinful anxiety. So there, our, our souls can be destroyed, which is that's pretty high up on the list of danger. Um, and you know, we bring God's name into shame and to disrepute. Um, we we may even risk deluding ourselves about our spiritual state if you know we we profess Christ and then we just keep going down the path of sin. We don't ever really resist it and fight it. Romans eight talks about if you put to death the deeds of the body, uh, the deeds of the flesh. I can't remember the exact wording. Um, then you will live, but uh, or if but if not, you know you will die. Yeah. And so sin can also gain a greater and stronger foothold in our lives, and it can wreak havoc over time if we go, oh well, if this is not really that big of a deal. God's there; He'll forgive me, and uh, it that can have like a snowballing effect. And then the the power of creating habits and forming character. Each time you make a, a choice to go down that sinful road, it can it. But gets a little bit easier to do it the next time, and a little bit easier to do it the next time, and before long, that's a pretty ingrained foothold in your life. Yeah, yeah. I, on top of that, and kind of related to that, I, I very much think the greatest danger that we can have is that we can give false assurance to churchy people when we have mm. this little sins approach. Uh, you know, we can. The Bible clearly shows that unless you have a habit of repentance, you know, that doesn't mean that if you fall into a certain number of sins that you're lost. Uh, but unless you, unless you have a desire to mortify uh, the sins of your flesh, uh, that the Holy Spirit's just not at work in you. Uh, and you know, and those who are in Christ have made Christ their Lord. Uh, and so I think sometimes we can give false assurance to churchy people that don't battle against the big sin that, you know, uh, that just have no desire to repent over one sin that our culture tends to ignore. The worst thing even sometimes in this can be that, so the law see these sins that we excuse, and I think as a result, give an excuse for their turning away. Um, so we might, you know, not treat gossip, or we might not treat anger as a, as a real issue within the body. You know, those are just little things. Uh, but I think the lost world notices those things, and our churches can quickly gain a reputation that ends up turning people away from the gospel rather than attracting them to the glorious gospel. Yeah, very, very true. So how do we inadvertently teach young people some sins are more respectable than other sins? I think often we can villainize those who commit those bad sins, acting extra shocked or outraged that they would do this or think this. Um, and we downplay our own sin. Um, it kind of goes along with what we've been saying, but there can be a dismissal of it and then you know we see something on the news about a gay pride march or uh, you pick the sin that you think is especially outrageous and egregious and you're just oh man I can't believe it and um, rather than having a humility about our own sin uh, and recognizing while we may not do such and such and I I'm no greater it's you know it's God great God's grace that keeps me and recognizing I'm capable of that. And so are you. Um, if you're talking to someone, you know, who's not in that boat, but just just recognizing that you both, it's God's grace that that keeps you out of sin. Uh, our hearts are desperately wicked. Who who can even know the bottom of it? And so, it's just playing up our own virtue, and and uh, I don't know. We could even get into dehumanizing almost some others, uh, depending on what it is they're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, as we're teaching and talking to our kids about that, just some of it can be more caught than taught. Yeah. I, one specific thing that actually came to my mind related to the youth, the purity uh, culture and youth ministry and children's ministry sometimes. I actually was on a Christian video website, and I won't specify which one it was, and was looking at some youth ministry videos, and I kind of spent a while counting it out, and I counted that there were more than twice as many videos uh, related to 
of purity and related to abstaining from sexual sin than there were videos on all other areas of sin that youth might struggle with combined. Like, so that there was twice as much as everything else combined, actually more than twice. And I think that that's not really a surprise. I think a lot of people, when we've done in the past 20 years, and we act like it was just in the past, but it's even still today, I think youth ministry has created this culture where, you know, the end all be all of the Christian life is avoiding sexual sin uh, and I think that can treat certain sins as more respectable um, and less expect- respectable so uh, but I think also we can do little things like you know a parent making excuse is for their own behavior for their own sinful behavior oh it's not a big deal while railing against the culture like you talked about you know while railing against the culture sins and you know but oh oh well daddy just has a little bit of temper issue Mm. So. Yeah, that's a good yeah. But what does this reveal about our theology? Well, uh, so many things are a window into our theology. It maybe reveals that we think God grades a little bit on a curve, and as long as we don't do you know, those sins over there, then He's not quite as upset with us as He might be with the people who do that, uh, which could it could lead to spiritual pride. And probably less thankfulness at his mercy to us, recognize our, our own sin. Um, it may show that deep down we think that uh, all sin really isn't uh, damnable and outrageous before God. Mm-hmm. But the cross shows us how seriously God takes sin, how God measures it, um, how outrageous he finds it. I mean, all sin is damnable, but it doesn't all have the same wide-reaching consequences in this life. So, you know, we keep using some of the more outreaches. You murder somebody, that's going to have some pretty wide-reaching consequences, unlike having some envy in your heart or having some – some greed. Now, those it could lead to all kinds of stuff, but just an instance of greed um, is not going to be the same thing as taking someone's life. But um, anyway, that, I mean, I think that that reveals a, a more biblical idea of sin that uh, it it is all an offense against God. I mean, David in Psalm fifty-one, when he's confessing about his his sin with Bathsheba, and he says, against you, you alone have I sinned. Well, technically speaking, that's not correct, but it's poetry, and he's saying, ultimately, God, you're the one that I've sinned against, and whatever I've done, I have sinned against you, and you're the one who's most offended. And so it's just, it's not good for us to think that God is is grading on a curve, and um, because... Often we're going to grade ourselves better than God would, that and is, we're going to grade others, you know, beneath ourselves. That is true. Um, you know, I think it's interesting how this kind of does relate to theology. Uh, I'm going to use a big term, Pelagianism. There's an old heresy of plagi- called Pelagianism that basically says that man is inherently uh, humanly neutral, like morally neutral, that we're born you know, neither good nor bad, and that was condemned as heresy. The Bible teaches that's wrong uh, for like thousands of years. It's been condemned as heresy. And this, I think, reveals in some way in us, this kind of um, this low, respectable sins mentality reveals a bit of a soft plagianism, uh, because it tends to see sins as the unordinary behavior. You know uh, that mm-hmm. nobody murders somebody every day. Well, I'm sure that there are some people that have, but uh, <laughs> as a as a theme, you know, you don't see somebody murdered when you go off for a walk all the time. Uh, but you know, you do see. Uh, that people, you know, struggling with envy or gossip or lust or whatever it might be as an everyday behavior. And I think when we see the bad sins as these other ones, we I think it exposes that in some way, shape, or form, we see kind of sin as the unordinary, as the outside of us, as the beyond norm in the human flesh. And that's just not a biblical theology of sin whatsoever. But yeah, I'm sad. I agree with you. It's, it's right to see all sins as worthy of that judgment. And actually, I was studying a 
uh, for a lesson with her youth in Sunday school. I was studying a report that came up from Lifeway as well as the Ligonier Ministry, and it talked about some of the dangerous teachings that evangelicals or those who claim they're evangelicals believe. And I found I've I, seen that. I think it was three quarters of people that claim to be evangelical do not believe that little sins deserve eternal punishment, uh, and instead they believe only some sins are worthy of eternal judgment. So. Yeah, I don't remember the exact numbers, but uh, some of the stuff on there was very troubling. Uh, what people who said they were evangelicals believed or didn't believe. Yeah, absolutely. So, but what does the Bible say about respectable sins? Well, it says that even our good deeds are like feminine hygiene products. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, let's you know, it's a nice way to. Phrasing it that, but that's what the filthy rags are talking about. So I guess that makes uh, our our respectable sins even more gross. Um, Galatians five in the section immediately before the passage about the fruit of the spirit, it gives us the works of the flesh, and it's you know discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. I mean ambition that that is prized in our culture, uh, particularly in America dissensions, factions, envy, all those works of the flesh. It says if you live like this, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. So those sins that may may not get you on the six o'clock news or get you talked about and people are, you know, gossiping about your family um, or what your kid did, uh, the Bible says that those things uh, they keep you out of God's kingdom if, if your life is patterned after that and um, so it takes them very seriously yeah I that's that's some great passages to bring up uh, some other th- passages that kind of came to mind on this uh, first off rather than one specific passage I think the whole book of James actually really came to my mind as we're studying that in our on our small group at our church as well as we actually finished studying that with our youth group recently and James really implies that sins like anger, specifically anger, specifically gossip, and specifically partiality. He implies that Mm. those sins will get people thrown into hell, uh, which is, wow. I mean, that's not how we tend to think, is it? Uh, No, definitely not. And uh, and another pa- couple other passages really came to my mind. Uh, Matthew five nineteen, Jesus says, uh, "Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." So you know you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven if you make sins into little respectable sins. Uh, and then Psalm nineteen twelve is a great psalm, but it asks, "Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults." So even the psalmist and the desire to seek the Lord is not just concerned uh, that with these big sins, but instead he's wanting to be innocent in regards to these little sins that other people can't see, and maybe even sometimes he doesn't see himself. Mm. Yeah, those, those great other witnesses to bring in. How can adults model taking seriously their own respectable sins, Ben? I think, one, ask God, even around their own kids or kids at church that they're ministering to, um, for God to reveal their sin to them and to give them the grace to turn away from them. Um, When you've sinned against your child or maybe you've sinned against a kid in the Sunday school class, uh, confess that and seek forgiveness when it's appropriate. Um, I there's you know certain cases where maybe that's not fitting or it's the person wasn't even aware that you sinned but um if if you have sinned against them and they're aware of that going to them and putting yourself low even though you're the one in authority saying i've wronged you and even if it was a relatively minor thing and i've i've wrestled with that before sometimes and thought oh that's that's kind of a dumb thing and well you know but it's really my pride just not wanting to put myself low and admit, yes, I I am a sinner, and uh, I'm standing in need of your forgiveness. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I would strongly agree with uh, what you said. Uh, I think especially parents need to model this uh, by uh, taking seriously the sins that they battle, and even, I think, at times being open about it with their kids. You know, I think 
kids notice our sins, even the, yeah. the respectful ones or the big ones, and how much of an impact would it have on helping us on a kid understand sin by and family worship and reading a passage relating to anger. I mean, for dad to say, like, and a struggle that I have, for example, as a specifically I have sometimes, is I can be impatient, uh, quite impatient. And for me to, for example, stop in family worship as we're talking about anger and say, you know, daddy battles anger, uh, battles impatience. Uh, daddy can be that. Uh, really impatient sometimes and it's not little and it's not okay uh but i'm thankful for christ's grace to me and i'm thankful that the holy spirit is growing me even though it is sin and it's not okay uh i think another specific way that we can handle this is ourselves as well as teaching our kids uh to journal our thoughts when we go through these sin struggles of ours, because it tends to be with these respectable sins, the monster tends not to be the specific instance, but the monster and the problem tends to be the thoughts that have led us down them because there's always a disbelief and there's always an idol behind all of these respectable sins. And I think it's helpful to help see how these are serious. I mean, go through what we're thinking and trace the thoughts that led us down that so we can really deal with the issues behind the blood blow-ups, you know, and whichever whichever one of the respectful ones there. Uh, But one thing, you know, and that might be kind of controversial, the last one I'll say is I think that adults model this by practicing Matthew 18 type church discipline for even little sins sometimes. You know, I think we would be quick. I think almost all churches would be quick to put somebody under church discipline if they were, you know, say a cannibal uh, but uh, <laughs> the Bible prescribes church discipline for cases that are far less of what we would call significant. You know, put the person that uh, has constantly fighting and constantly falling to anger and has no desire to fight it under church discipline. Uh, put the go- person that's consumed with gossip or consumed with lust and has no desire to fight it and practice the biblical stages of church discipline, of confronting it uh, individually, then together, and then even potentially removing somebody from the membership of the church over one of the things that we might call little sins. I think that would really amazingly show young people that we take all sins seriously. Do you agree? It's a really good point. Um, I will say in in practice, some of that could be hard. Um, Some of those sins are hard to detect. And whereas if someone is committing adultery on his wife, he's moved out and he's moved in with his new girlfriend, it's pretty clear to everyone, it's very public. With some of them, it can be harder to establish, but yeah. I, I think that at least the direction that you're talking about, I mean, if we want to say Jesus is our Lord, we've got to obey him, yeah. um, but it, I think it does take wisdom figuring out how that works in every situation. But Absolutely. So. <laughs> Uh, and how can parents help their kids see their respectable sins, even when they aren't as bad as so and so? Even if you know they know that their kid isn't as bad as, as the really really naughty kid in Sunday school. Use you want to use God's word as the mirror, uh, as opposed to looking at so and so as a point of comparison, because we can always find someone that we're that we're more responsible, yeah. uh, or you know maybe we're more obedient. Um, our life looks more respectable, but emphasize personal accountability for your sin and taking personal responsibility. Like you will have to answer for the choices you've made and the sin you've done, and you need to do something about what you've done wrong. We don't need to worry about it, whether they've sinned against a sibling or the neighbor kid or the, the naughty kid in Sunday school. Um, we're talking about you. And yeah. so you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. Um, you want to emphasize God's holiness and pray that they would see his holiness and fear him. And then it makes their sin appear closer to what it is rather than, well, it's not that big of a deal because I, I can compare myself to this other person. You don't want to villainize the so-and-sos and, oh, well, you know, watch out for, for Johnny or um, I know Johnny's such a, a naughty boy, or, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, and just creating a culture of confessing sins and seeking forgiveness in your own home. Yeah, that's great. I think you've dealt with uh, a lot of that in a really helpful way. But one specific type of thing 
I think tends relate to this. When we l- help our kids to see their respectable sins and how they are so bad, I, I do think of, you know, I know of countless examples of parents that have had children that have grown up to walk away from the faith uh, or, you know, show no interest in the Lord and not want to go to church, not, you know, even cl- not even claim to be Christian anymore. And cases where parents will say, you know, but Johnny was good. Johnny was a good kid. Johnny never got into drugs or alcohol or sex like his friends did. Uh, And I think that underlies a danger that we tend to do with our kids, that we tend to um, have a bias towards the sins that other kids do. And we have a tendency sometimes to assume the salvation of our kids because they're comparatively decent uh, to other kids. Uh, so, you know, we assume because, you know, our kid maybe prayed a prayer at one age. We've talked about this before. Uh, and of, is avoiding the really, really bad things. Uh, that they're a Christian when they might be controlled unrepentantly by a sin in a way that we can see it and that we might have to preach the gospel to. So whether it be even like fear of man, I think is a common one, that I think our kids might show that they're unrepentant through having no desire to fight really that kind of fear of man. Um, and so I that's all to say, I think in respectable sins, and looking at our kids compared to other kids, we need to really be careful with, with assurance of salvation in these kind of cases, even if our kids are avoiding the really, really bad things. But I think also, like you brought up, you know, I think not whether they're Christian or not, don't bring them to compare to other kids, but instead to see uh, whether our kids are Christian or not, that our every sin is high treason against the universe, you know, against the God who created everything, the God that is everywhere. Yeah. So, and how can we teach them to fight against these respectable sins that won't get them a bad reputation in school or even in the church? Well, if you're trying to bring in God's word as the mirror then you're bringing in biblical teaching. And uh, I mean, I guess in this situation, we're assuming that the child is a believer, but teaching them what the New Testament talks about, to put off that old person and to put on the new person. And God's not just concerned that we don't murder people and run around having sex with people. Uh, while he is concerned about those things, um, he is more concerned he is also concerned with other aspects of our character. And so, um, I mean, you're just trying to expose them to the fullness of God's word and, again, put off the old, put on the new, seek after good, um, be patient, and, and don't try to be the Holy Spirit for them, though, where you know every time they mess up, you're on their case. But when you see a pattern of some of those little or respectable sins, gently pointing it out, trying to ask them some heart probing questions about that. And again, you're trying to point them to God and his character to see their sin in light of that. And then also to see his mercy in Christ that Jesus died for sins like that. And also uh, my wife and I were reading something last night uh, related to anger and it was referencing Titus chapter 3 where it talks about uh, how the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people but it doesn't just stop there it also is training us to renounce ungodliness and uh, put to to live self-controlled upright godly lives in the present age and so there's this twofold function to it and the, you know God's grace is available to you to make those kinds of, of character changes yeah uh, what, what do you think about that the one thing I would add to that is, uh, and I think that's really great, was I think one th- pr- very practical thing we can do is teach our kids the practice of Christian confession. Uh, and not saying going to a priest, uh, but I think that it should be a routine <laughs> practice to, one, know if we're a Christian, our, our sins, past, present, and future, are, are paid for on the cross. If we're a true Christian, that is always the case. But the Bible does clearly tell us that we are to confess our sins before God. And I think that's actually good for us, too. Because what it tends to do, I think, is when we learn the practice of confession, especially if we do it like every day, 
is our kids or ourselves will search our hearts and we'll see the severity of our sins. We'll stop making excuses when we really contemplate our sins. And it will, one, make us hate those sins and not think of them as little anymore. But also, it will make us so unbelievably thankful that Christ came and and gave his own life and died on the cross for that sin that we tend to ignore and treat as little. I really like that. I've heard it phrased as keeping short sin accounts with God. Mm. Uh, Don't wait till you're saying, now I lay me down to sleep, but just when you sin, hopefully you're growing in the fear of the Lord and an awareness of God's presence and you go, oh, I've I've sinned against God and just going to him immediately. Lord, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Please turn my heart away from that. Um, So yeah, I think that's a great piece of wisdom and advice. And I think even this is a practice that we can start at kids on at young ages. You know, you can sit with your six and seven year old and you can take times of, you know, you modeling with them or but having that encouraging them in prayer time to, you know, give confession to God, you know, and not as a way that, you know, you're trying to figure out who stole the cookie from the cookie jar and dole out punishment, <laughs> but out of real concern for their own soul. What do you think are some of the most prominent respectable sins church kids might be consumed by? And why do you think that's the case? Well, church kids in particular, I think pride and self-righteousness can be pretty prevalent, especially if they've grown up in a Christian home and there's certain standards that are there. Especially if they've been given like the Christian Character Award. Yeah, I think you've called that the Pharisee Award before. (laughs) Um, So I think those can be particularly prevalent because this is a good thing. There are standards of godly behavior in their home, and so there's this you know dam against some of these passions coming out. That if they were in a home where their parents were you know, strung out on drugs or absent or these kinds of things, they would be free to go indulge in these a little easier. Um, But we tend to forget how sinful we were. And so, I mean, let's say even these kids are believers. Um, There can still be like, well, yeah, I'm glad I'm not like that neighbor kid that, you know, he's all, the police are all the time showing up on him or, man, he's got such a filthy mouth. Uh, But we tend to forget how sinful we were and how dead we were. And we think that maybe we were a little bit more deserving of God's grace and his salvation and his love than those people because even before we were a Christian, we kind of kept our nose clean. And, you know, we we heard the gospel and, we, oh, I know I needed to, to trust Christ. Um, whereas those, you know, <laughs> those heathens, they just, man, uh, just no hope for them. Um, and so, yeah, it's just that pride runs deep. And in Ephesians 2, Paul reminds the believers there you, and I don't know exactly his his reasoning there, but he reminds them, you were dead, and God has made you alive in Christ. And so that's a helpful thing for us to go back and go, okay, I was dead, and I was a child, an object of God's wrath. And so that even as the rest were, it says. And so um, there's not like tears of sinners, class, you know, varsity yeah. and JV. Um but th- those are the, I mean, having been raised in a, you know, in the church and going to Christian school, I even won that, that Pharisee award when I was a junior <laughs> in high school. I know you did. Um, actually, I have, actually have it prominently displayed here in my office. Um, but yeah, th- those were things that I dealt with and I've seen it. So um, I imagine you have too. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really great assessment of it, and I, I can't really think of much to add, though I think there are lots of other sins that young people in churches can battle in different ways that are little and, and big based on how our culture views them. Um, but I mean, there are some boys that might wear th- that which pertains to a woman, like wearing skinny pants and things like that. I don't know. but That is true, <laughs> especially worship leaders. <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah, it's, it's pretty prevalent with that crowd. <laughs> How do we teach young people repentance over respectable sins that might not be out loud or even public? Well, you want to teach them search for what Scripture says about it. Um, 
again, you know, if we're teaching them to repent of it, we're kind of assuming that they're believers. But I, I think you can – sometimes you don't always know, and so you're trying to teach them the practices of godliness and just search out. Like if you feel some sense of wrongness about this, don't ignore that, but search out what Scripture says. If you need somebody's help, do that. But um, pray that God would give you his perspective on your behavior, your character, uh whatever that that issue is that you see it more like he does because again we we tend to be easier on ourselves than god's holy standard um you want to pray for god to change your heart and your mind and your attitude because i think like you said the, the practice of christian confession is really helpful that we are confessing our sins to god but it needs to go beyond that and i think you would agree with me yeah it it can't simply stop okay i did this wrong thing for us to stop going that way we need a change of heart a change of what we love and for the the faith and the grace to turn away from that and to to go in the ways that the lord has told us to and that we see that as a good thing and a desirable thing um and, and tell them to work to put on good in general uh, when the temptation comes i mean yeah. there's multiple places in the new testament that talk about and even i mean like i, I just talked to first peter and Peter quotes from Psalm 34, and it, there it says to turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. So it's not simply enough to not sin. We should actively be going after what's good. That's great. Uh, one thing I would build on that and add to that uh, is I think we really, truly need to model apologizing and admitting our, our sins in front of the kids, and we don't like to do that. And sometimes... We might even, I've actually even read uh, some church leaders on parents as well as uh, ministry leaders. They should never, you know, acknowledge their sins publicly like that. And I just think that it's so wrong and so unbiblical mm. and so against what even the Apostle Paul did. Uh, but um, I think in addition to modeling it ourselves, I think, you know, when we see our kid uh, that do one of the private sins, especially some of our private sins are actually against other people. Uh, so, you know, whether we gossip about somebody else, whether we uh, envy somebody else, whether, you know, we um, that really speak disrespectfully in that kind of way of somebody else. I think we tell them that repentance looks like having the hard conversations with that person where you admit the sin uh, that is in your heart towards them. And sometimes this leads, even with teenagers, to real reconciliation and dealing with these issues that we don't want to deal with because it's easier to just gossip about the person towards somebody else or you know, it's easier to hold a grudge against them. Uh, but, you know, I think that well, that's beautiful acts of repentance. Even uh, That's not to say that um, I think that every guy that needs to go to a teen girl and tell him, hey, I've been lusting after you, uh, that would be clearly inappropriate and weird. Uh, so don't do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not helpful. Not. <laughs> but when helpful, I think these kind of public uh, taking our private sins to one another can be really important, hugely important even. Yeah, and if that's you have to give some words of caution there and say, hey, you know, maybe you just check with another godly, check with your parents or a godly adult sometimes, because there can be just the the wisdom filter probably hasn't developed significantly sometimes, and so you may have if you just give this blanket statement of, of do that, then Johnny may be like, man, Susie, you are really hot, and I've just been having right. some some bad thoughts about you. Um, trying to, to honor the Lord and things like that, and go, eh, that that's not who you need to tell that to. Yeah. Um, so, or but I, I do like what you're saying about not opening your own soul up to other people. Yeah, you don't want Sally to, uh, with good intentions, to go to Susie and tell her, I'm so sorry that but me and Jenna have been gossiping about how ugly your wardrobe is, and so it's just not okay for us to talk behind your back about how ugly your wardrobe is. And how much of an idiot we think you are. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. So, uh, the How can children's ministries uh, navigate these respectable sins, especially if parents don't think that they're a big deal, which I think very much can happen? That's tough. Um, I think you pray for humility and heart change. One, for the parents that they would begin to see those things, but also for yourself, that you don't begin to look at the parents like, man, these people, they're idiots. 
um, and make sure that it's not just implications that you've worked out from certain biblical teachings, certain passages, but that it's actually very clear in Scripture. That you're not trying to put something on the conscience of someone else that's not explicit in Scripture. Like, I, I don't know, some TV show that you don't think their kids should be able to watch, but... Or how uh, you don't think they should be Patriots fans, for example. Yes, there you go. And who's who's glad that they lost on this, this past weekend? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you just want to be really careful about that, that it's not, uh, because that can be, I mean, particularly among conservative Christians, we tend to take biblical teaching and then work out from there, extrapolate some things and go, oh, well, this is the godly way. Why would you do otherwise? And it's not always quite as cut and dry. Uh, I think you want to ask good questions of the kids and of the parents as you have opportunity, and just try to keep teaching God's Word and appealing to their conscience. And some of you, you'll leave up to the Holy Spirit. And now, I do think we should teach how big little sins really are when we're taken to those places in Scripture, whether even examples and teaching narratives with kids, often we might do that. But I think in that showing how big God's grace is, one very specific way that I've seen this done really well is um, my friend Jack Klumpenhauer uh, has a resource called the Jesus Report Card. And, and he, what he does with that, it kind of shows us our sin and how Jesus covers over it and imputes his righteousness. And it asks uh, students to, you know, honestly assess themselves, kids to assess themselves. What grade do you think they get in things like little sins, like disrespecting your parents? Uh, and I think most kids, if, you know, you bring that from a biblical perspective, will be at least somewhat honest. And I think that can show us, you know, how God expects perfection and we fall short, but how Jesus gives us his totally perfect, uh, that moral report card. So I like that. Uh, I've used that a number of times with the, uh, younger kids and I think because kids are in school, it can particularly connect with them. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, how can we teach teens who might be seen as the good church kid uh, while practicing the, uh, these, the seriousness of sins like these? Well, I think it depends on the relationship and um, how you know about what's going on. If they tell you and you have uh, you, you have firsthand knowledge of it, then I think you can call them on it. If you don't have firsthand knowledge uh, or they haven't just told this to you, you got to be careful. I think maybe you can go through the side door. Um, sometimes just teaching on those passages, uh, themes regular application. If you know that there's a problem going around, kind of addressing it in a generic way like that. But um, you, you work with students. So, I mean, what's what's your take on that? I think we need to set the bar of God's holiness high is one hugely important thing. I, I think when we look at biblical view of sin, we always need to understand that in light of always presenting God's holiness as infinitely greater than we tend to perceive. I think one practical step might be, though not exclusively to do this, uh, to teach them the books like Proverbs or James. I think it's interesting because in the gospel centrality movement, which I think a lot of ways both of us would uh, subscribe to, uh, we tend to avoid uh, we can, can go to too far extremes and not really see the relevance, especially for young people, of books like Proverbs or James that are very much written originally with some significant thought given towards young people specifically. Uh, mm. And I think so teach those, and I think that those books specifically can help in a lot of ways. But I think lastly, be the awkward, serious uh, that female or female teacher that doesn't dismiss cute sin carefully. Because I think that can be the easy thing. Uh, we want, you know, people to like us. We want students to like us. And uh, so we might, you know, when, uh, when a teen is gossiping about somebody else, we might, oh, shucks, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, but I think not, you know, rage against them. But, you know, but don't show... You don't give time to it. You know what I mean? That teaches is a real problem and that that needs to be addressed rather than just some, some cute little oh shucks thing that we tend to do with a lot of respectable sins in youth ministries if we're really honest with ourselves. 
That's a good point. Uh, I mean, I'm someone who can deal with be, the fear of man, and um, you you don't want to lose the whatever it is likability, and so yeah, you've got to uh, got to call sin what it is in a loving way, and so yeah, that that's that's a good word. Well, the last question uh, in a long podcast, I know, uh, but I think long for a reason because there's a lot of this going on in the church, and I think this is a very complex topic, is how does understanding the respectable sins make us quicker to show grace to those who do the less respectable sins? It puts us in our own place, and it makes us joyfully dependent on God's mercy mm. in Jesus when we just have this growing awareness of our own sinfulness and God's holiness, again, rather than looking around at other people and comparing ourselves to them, but rather we're, we're looking at God himself and the standard that he's put forward in his word, we, we get lower. And then we remember, like Paul says, uh, I think it's in first Corinthians 10, maybe you can correct me, but for those of you who stand, take heed lest you fall. Um, take take watch over your own, your own soul. Be careful, and think as you come to see your own sin tendencies and just how deep the corruption runs. It can help showing that mercy to others. Yeah, um, that's great. So, I I think to add to that, I think seeing this. I think it helps us see that uh, that our sin might be more like theirs also in a different context. Not just realizing that our sins are all bad, uh, but I think we can easily dismiss, you know, I would never do this or that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, I think if we understand the seriousness of our own sin, we might know, you know, there by the grace of God legitimately go I, uh, and it's not because I'm better. I think actually even this relates to, you know, some of my own story and the struggles with different sins. And, you know, Danielle and I, by God's, by legitimately by God's grace, you know, we followed the purity uh, movement model. You know, we stayed and we waited until marriage, unlike the vast majority of Christian young people in America. Uh, But, you know, I legitimately don't know what would have happened if I was in the circumstances that uh, somebody else that has fallen was in. And, uh, and I think to have pride because I resisted in my very different circumstances over somebody else is truly arrogant and fails to see my own respectable sins. Mm. That's a good uh, humble admission of, of a real, very real-life situation. So anyway, I, I think this topic is important, and I think it's something that we often really overlook uh, more than I think most of the topics that we can relate to on this kind of thing. Uh, but And I really want to encourage listeners, by the way, to check out Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, both for adults as well as for teens. Uh, but uh, I hope this has been a help to you as well, Ben, by the way. It has been. It was good thinking through these things and talking about it with you. So I'm glad you brought up the topic. Wonderful. Well, I hope that you have a respectable afternoon today, Ben. (laughs) You too. (laughs) Keep your nose clean. Yep. Uh, Thanks for listening and God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.